I think it just comes, like you said in the beginning, it comes back to how not just that person, but humans receive information like that. Because anything that has a dollar sign in front of it in a conversation, it's automatically difficult for whatever reason. I have still never figured out why, but I think that's just my personality and demeanor where it's like, hey, if we're talking about money, let's talk about money. Welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. This is where we talk to recruiters and hiring managers to lift the curtain on the hiring process so you can learn how hiring decisions get made. This week, we do a deep dive into HR operations. It's really about the inner workings of the HR function. We've got an incredible guest in Frankie Rhodes, AKA Tank. He's an incredible content creator and super knowledgeable when it comes to HR operations. He's been doing it for a while now. He's done it at large organizations and at small startups. So he brings a wealth of knowledge, perspective, and nuance to really complicated topics. We talk about the enrollment process and benefits, how benefits get created, compensation, the alignment between the sub functions and the HR, the growing function that is HR operations. It's a really, really great episode. I really enjoyed Tank's perspective. If you get the opportunity to work with him, you'd be incredibly lucky. I felt so lucky to get to chat with him for a while. So please listen to the episode and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. This week we are with Frankie Tank Rhodes. And if you are not following him on TikTok, you are missing out. It's been a little light on content lately. Well, hopefully you can nudge him, but just a wealth of knowledge and resources. And I'm excited to have you on the show. But can you tell us a little more about yourself? Yeah, I appreciate you having me here. As stated, I go by Tank. I am an HR creator on TikTok, one of many. I go by HR's Agent of Chaos on there, all smashed together, one word. I've been doing content on that for about two years now. I've been in the people space for five years now. I uh, started out as a recruiter, worked my way up, took a little bit more responsibility on throughout my career. Um, and now my uh, hyper focus has been more on the operation specific side of, of human resources. All right. Awesome. That is a great framing for today's discussion, which is HR ops. Actually, I love this trend that's happening in business. Like everything is getting ops attached to it, design ops, recruiting ops, HR ops. And I think we really need it Yeah, because it brings to light how just how complex business is these days. And it separates a little bit like the craft itself from all the operations required to make it run smoothly. And HR is such a good example of that. So can you tell us what HR ops is in the sort of broader HR landscape? Yeah. So I'll start by saying that uh, the common misconception about human resources in general in terms of what we do is that we all kind of do the same thing. But like many departments, there's a bunch of different moving parts. Operations is one of those parts. In a, <laughs> I'll call it a tank nutshell, because I'm sure I'm going to ramble for a little bit. The idea is to minimize the burden that comes with all the administrative aspects of not just what we do on our team to make sure you have a comfortable working environment, but also all the processes that we have to deal with day to day outside of just answering your tickets, right? You send a request about something that you have no idea what it is, or you've never heard a term before, all the way down to like, hey, you probably should check the handbook if you have one, because the answer's there. We that's one of the main things we put together a lot of those programs and and there's a lot of systems 
management, all the, you know, the, you, if your friends are referring other friends, and if you're applying, you have someone who's the technical side, we're working on making sure that the applicant tracking system is talking to the HRIS system if they're not the same thing, right? Any analytics stuff, again, tech systems, employee relations support, we're looking at sometimes payroll, uh, more often than not payroll falls under that bag. A lot of data management, just to make sure that if we're working on something on our end to make a process smoother for the whole company, we need context for that. We need a lot of information to make that make sense. It's more important when a business partner, an HR business partner is presenting something to an executive team or the larger group as a whole. There's a lot of information that has to get gathered to make that make sense. Life cycle management from the time you start, from before you start really to past your last day, there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes to make sure that that goes as smoothly as possible. And compliance, because if you're not in any sort of compliance in the window you're supposed to be in, that's trouble from start to finish. And it's going to hit your company fast. Depending on the scenario, it's going to hit you fast. So you're going to want a buffer like an ops person to make sure that everybody's on point. And it's it, all the little things that kind of fall into that. Again, like when you're making a certain request, anything from like benefit questions to any kind of reasonable accommodations or leave management, all of those things, we help at the very least make sure there's a smooth system in place and a smooth workflow in place for you to reach out to the people you want to reach out to while also making sure that you get the answers you need in a timely manner. You're our customer. That's really what it is. We're your first line of defense. For those of you who don't know, I'm a colossal Pokemon fan. One of Ash's uh, mottos is the best defense is a good offense. So we have to stay on point all the time to make sure all you have to do is worry about getting your job done and logging off for the day. That was super helpful. Thank you. At what scale, from like a headcount perspective, do companies start to need or should, <laughs> maybe like, you know, what they're doing typically, maybe when they should do it, create an HR ops function? I'll answer both. My perspective of what currently happens is it really just depends on where that business is, right? One of the things I like to say, especially when it comes to candidates looking for jobs, you can ask for the salary that you want, but just like most of us have a personal banking account, that company has a banking account, right? So there's a number, it depends on what the business is. My personal opinion on when that should start is regardless of what state your business is hiring people in or operating out of, whatever the case may be, once you start hitting those minimum thresholds of needing to provide a certain level of uh, benefits or service to your employees, and there is in various states legal minimums that are required for that. Other than that, I think whether it's consultant, whether you're bringing someone on full time, if you're even just like thinking about how that's going to be mapped out, it needs to be as soon as possible. Like the second you start touching that 50, 60, like 70 headcount mark, that's when you need to, your imagination needs to be going and you need to be in people's DMs on LinkedIn. So what are some of those compliance thresholds? Because you know, I think it's also it's always interesting to hear, right? These things like are rumored. It's like, oh, in this state, you can't do this. And people don't really know. I'd love to hear some of, just to give people an example of some of these uh, compliance thresholds. Yeah, I'll use my home state as a perfect example because they have some of the longest list of compliance requirements in the country. I'm a Boston kid. I'm from Massachusetts. Massachusetts has for, to be able to provide like a certain uh, level of sick leave. I think it's a, the federal minimum is 12 weeks. 
for Massachusetts, not only is that 12 week thing one of the policies, but also like there has to be a certain number of people that are employed full time in order to meet that requirement. I don't remember the number. It could have changed. Last I checked, it's 50. Um, so anyone is free to correct me on that. And are those rules in the state or total? Because now in the world of remote work, I would imagine all this is even more complicated. It gets way more complex if like, even if you have like 10, 12 people in one place and then like 35 in another, it really, really depends on what your goal is after that. If you're like aiming, I think it's a bold move to aim, <laughs> aim to be like completely remote, like right away. But if that's what you're trying to do and you can figure it out, that's great. I personally think the best way to go about it is once you hit that threshold, like as a company and, and you have it, you have everything laid out a certain way on, on the tax filings and stuff like that. Um, that's when you need to start at the very least looking into someone to consult with. I'm like, all right, how do I get this started? Whether it's with a company that provides that service, a PEO, professional employment organization, or again, if you know someone who's just really nice at what they do and they can answer those questions for you. But after that, it's really just, it becomes a numbers game and it's different from state to state. That's just in the US. When you start going international and you're looking at full-timers in different places, you need to have someone who is uh, internationally compliant and, and understands how that works because that escalates real fast. <laughs> yeah, when we were, so the, the company I was a co-founder in that I sold to WeWork, we were 63 people. And about half of our team, eh, maybe about a third of our team was in, well, no, half the team was not in the US. Okay. Some a big chunk was in Uruguay, but then we had individual people and it just became very complicated, even though they were contractors because it just made it easier. But even that was like difficult. Each state, each country, you know, certain countries had different vacation policies and then different minimum payment policies and sick leave policies and parental leave policies. So, I mean, at Teal, we've just said, hey, we're only going to hire in the U.S. There's financial benefit and there's like a lot of business benefit. But I was like, culturally, actually, it's quite taxing that, you know, to be able to mitigate all that. And so we just said like U.S. time zone only for now because it creates all these like micro frictions on the business. Hey, right. That I actually think are quite agitating. Um, so I just said that we don't we don't need that right now. <laughs> it's chaotic when you hire someone in another state and you aren't even like registered there as a business, let alone like contractor you can get away with, right? You can figure that out. But if you're bringing someone on full time, like W2, there's a whole bunch of stuff on the back end that has to happen first. And we're talking about conversations between the ops person, the recruiter, the manager being like, hey, you really like this person. I don't think we can pull off being compliant in that state or even want to set up there, whether it's the state or the time zone or whatever it is. Are you offering other things to make sure you can get this person on board? Are you willing to take that hit, you know, and whatever your budget is to be like, all right, listen, this is going to cost a few racks to make this, this and this happen. Are you maybe willing to consider relocating this person? That's when those conversations start to happen. That's a really interesting point, because I think we've had this happen. We just we hired someone. I hadn't thought about it. I was like, whatever, it's the US, like all good. And we use a co-employment. We use JustWorks. They're awesome. They're not a sponsor, but I think they're great. And we hired someone in, they were in the state of Washington when we hired them. And they moved to Oregon like a month later. But the amount of paperwork and stuff we had to do to be an employer in the state of Washington, honestly, 
Like, had I known that, I probably would have asked the person to wait a month to start or, or started them as a contractor because we lost like a lot of time and energy and it was really inefficient. And I guess that's like a perfect example where an HR ops person would have been like, hey, here's some different strategies. Do we think we're gonna hire more in that state? And then I also think this explains why on some JDs you see, hey, we'd only hire in these states or it's complicated if a company is trying to hire in many states. Right. And to be honest, as a candidate myself, it would be really nice if we were just a smidge more transparent about that, right? Especially now that we're a country that's moving towards more and more states that have pay transparency laws in place. And remote is, it's received very interestingly because a lot of people don't think about the fact that compliance is the first part of it. We maybe can or can't hire there, but it would be nice for a candidate to know that. A lot of job boards, they, you know, on the back end, when the manager or the recruiter is posting it on that third-party job board, you might not have the option to filter that. So user experience review, hey, filter this out a little bit more so we give a little bit more visibility to candidates. I'm not asking anyone to tell me anything, you know, super specific, but at the very least, just like you don't want anyone to waste your time with an application for a role, that's just like, hey, look, like this isn't even close. We don't want our time wasted as candidates being like, all right, we just applied to like three, four, five hundred places and like 200 of them, I wouldn't even have a chance because I live even just one state down and y'all can't hire there. So what would be some of the reasons you couldn't hire in the state, like from an HR ops perspective? The first part is however much it might cost to get that taken care of to register there. Another thing could be, it can be anything within that. So there's a whole subgenre there, like what level of like leave support in every single way might need to be provided to make that employee culpable. Oh, interesting. So that might be like counter to the company policy. Right. It's like, look, we don't offer it in other states. Their state would sort of force us to change our policy company-wide. So it's just makes more sense for us not to hire there. Exactly. And these are these are all very few and far in between, especially because there are managers who are willing to be like, hey, like I know we're hybrid and this, that, and the other, but I really like this person. I want them to kick it with us. So like, let's try to find a way to make that happen. Um, there's always an exception to the rule in ops as well, which is really interesting because it then, it blends more and is heavily more on like the business partner aspect of it at that point, right? So that's the other part of my ops brain that I have to keep in mind. Again, because all of y'all are my customer. So like I can spit off all the compliance stuff. Not one word of it will make sense to you if I can't A, translate it and B, tell you why this is important to make sure no one here fails. So now we're looking at, all right, you're looking at things culturally, right? This person might be two, three time zones ahead or behind you. How do we make sure we're creating an environment where like, if they need me, cause I'm on the East coast, but they're in Cali, Oregon, Nevada, whatever. I'm not trying to work past five if I don't have to, but also this person needs to make sure that this person needs to be comfortable and knowing that the support is going to exist when they need it so they can work when it's best for them. That's where we come back to the overall ops aspect of things, right? If you have everything laid out and organized in a manner where this person isn't asking the first question, they have all the information they need to ask the nuanced questions. They can Slack you, slide you an email, and you can wake up the next morning and check it and be like, all right, this, this, this does make sense. This, this doesn't. Here's where I can help you. It helps to alleviate a lot of the stress around 
finding the answer at the very least. It might not solve the problem, but you're a little bit smarter. So does HR ops sometimes sit, I'll use the word in between, I don't really mean it literally, but like as part of the pod with HR business partner, business partner and HR ops? Yeah, we get pulled in a lot of directions. And sometimes you have to insert yourself in a number of those places. But um, overall, I think the biggest thing here is be sharp in all of the the bells and whistles, but you also need to be able to have that, I call it the human part of the brain on. Aside from someone not understanding a single word you just said because you used every legal jargon from like the Civil Rights Act or something, like how are you turning your business partner brain on as an ops person to say, hey, here's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Here's that gray area. And this is what we need to work on as a team, whether it's communication, whether it's setting something in place, whether it's the marketing of such, if you're, whether it's internal or external for what's going to happen next for your organization, all those things are really important. So you, you have to be able to not only be pulled in a number of directions, but also go seek that information out. Cause again, we're the ones that in a broad spectrum responsible for making sure that all this stuff is as, as available and smooth and uh, comprehensible as possible. I feel like the solutioning is where it's interesting because people get creative. This There'll be the ongoing battle between Dan Space and I (laughs) on like, you know, what you're supposed to do versus what you possibly could do. Because I worked at a very fast growing, fast moving startup and they got quite creative with a lot of (laughs) like comp packages that I think were compliant. But, you know, I think like one out of 100,000 people would actually get it. But I'm like, Dan, I've seen it. He's like, you can't do that. I was like, I've seen it. I've seen someone get a loan from the company to get equity to then do this. And then they bought insurance privately. I'm like, I've seen it. Like, I know you say those things aren't negotiable, but I've seen it. (laughs) Yeah. Everything eventually comes back to the nuance where in many other scenarios, even just kind of life in, in itself, you can look at a thing and just have like, all right, well, there's this broad picture. And I, I've been thinking about this particular saying a lot lately, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around, does it make noise? We've all watched someone Discovery Channel or we lived in a rural area or something like that. A tree fell. It made noise. It made noise on the way down. So <laughs> <laughs> we've all seen the videos on TikTok of people chopping trees and chopping wood and, you know, they get creative in that aspect. It's like that thing made noise. So just because you didn't see it, we're pretty sure that like at some point, whether they got away with it or not is outside of our understanding of control. And I'm personally not that nosy, but <laughs> it could be a thing. And I think when we come back to you mentioned like being creative and, and using your imagination, there are more scenarios than not where you need to tap into that. Yeah, because You might be responsible for one of two things. And I think this is uh, someone who's invested in what they do in general. This is how I lay this out there. It's your imagination is either going to reveal a problem, whether you come up with the solution or not, is whatever. It's going to reveal a current or future problem. And the other part is, is when you start thinking of that solution, you could be responsible for something very big and very helpful. So being tactical and all of those things is fine, but you can't be rigid in that. I'm huge on imagination. I just be saying stuff sometimes and I'll put it out into the universe. I'm like, hey, look, I don't know how this is going to go, but like, I'm going to try it and then scale it back again when you're trying to make it make sense for the business. That's the point you always want to get back to. Yeah, the framework I try to push people on is 
what's the problem we're solving and like what's the intention? Don't rush to a solution. Right. If we rush to a solution, we are closing off so many possibilities. And then let's like focus on the right problem. So like I'll give an example that we're struggling with at Teal here. Maybe we can crack it. There are folks who don't need our health insurance. Yeah. Their partners have better health insurance. And then I'm like, well, that's not fair that they're just like, the Teal is benefiting from that. Like those employees cost us less. And so it's like, awesome. But that's not fair. Like other people are getting that. But then I'm like, well, okay, cool. I'll just give it to them in their salary. But I'm actually trying to keep real clear comp bands. And I know when that person sees their paycheck, they're gonna be like, well, my paycheck is that. Plus, so that's now, now that's their comp number. I'm like, no, your comp number is not that. Your comp number is that plus this kicker for insurance. And, but that's not like the way the human brain works. Now it's like, hey, well, this was, this wasn't a 10% raise. This was only like a 6% raise. It's like, yeah, because we raised you on the comp number, not the salary, not the, the health insurance number. And so it's just also like, if you give people the insurance, now they're taxed on it versus the insurance, they're not. So like in our case, we put like a, a dollar cap is, and then like you can buy the one you want, it covers the bulk of the plans. But if you want like the extra fancy one, you got to come out of pocket a little bit. But that number is like fully tax deductible for Teal. The person doesn't see it at all. So like, I think it's like five, 600 bucks a month, but whatever. If we said, okay, fine, I'm going to tack on 500 bucks to the person a month who doesn't take the insurance. Well, they're not going to get the 500. They're going to get the post-tax 500. But the other person's actually getting the 500 benefit. And like, you could, then you go like, well, do you true that person up and like cover the tax? Like, well, then now that's not fair. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's like these complicated systems. And also, I mean, look, I'm not even getting into the fact that insurance comes via companies, which is kind of bullshit. Right. But, <laughs> you know, it's like this thing that's like well-intentioned on the surface makes perfect sense, but it's really complicated. Super complicated. That's a tough one to navigate. And again, I think it just comes, like you said in the beginning, it comes back to how not just that person, but humans receive information like that. Because anything that has a dollar sign in front of it in a conversation, it's automatically difficult for whatever reason. I have still never figured out why, but I think that's just my personality and demeanor where it's like, hey, if we're talking about money, let's talk about money. My other goal just in this space in general is really like trying to eliminate the discomfort that just seems to like come with that. You do a job, you're getting paid. Here's a variety of ways you're getting paid. I'm not going to tell you not to talk about this with somebody else. Like that's your business. Also, it's illegal for me to do that. Uh, <laughs> all y'all remember that y'all managers out there, especially y'all be tripping. Don't be telling your employees to not talk about their money with somebody else. Um, <laughs> that's the nuance where it's like, that's not a group solution. You can't take a group solution approach to that. It's just like, hey, here's what it is. This is what we agreed on. You don't have to like it. You can choose whatever you want to choose and I'll be supportive in that decision. That's a tough one because there's always going to be like that little bit of emotion behind it as well. And the person's brain's going, they're thinking about all the personal aspects of this. And it's like, hey, that's real, but let's keep it business for like 10 more seconds. <laughs> it's really, really tough. And, you know, because then you you set a precedent and, you know, and right. th there's also just all these weird constraints, right? Like, Actually, here's one that I don't understand that you can only pick insurance once a year, like in September or October. Is that like a governmental thing? Or is that just like all the insurance companies sat in a room together and like, hey, we're going to do this once a year because it's easier for us? <laughs> it's a combination of the two. And I wasn't old enough to not to make anybody feel any particular way. I wasn't old enough to remember the details of like how those things were enacted, uh, all the different executive orders and stuff that went into that. But it's for sure... A number of like 
government compliance things, of course, but the larger issue is, you know, the, the insurance companies do get their say because however many couple hundred people work at those places, they also have to do the same thing in turn their company, their, their company. So it makes their lives easier because their open enrollment, I can't imagine is at the same time, you know, as a number of places, but the majority it will be. And, you know, you have the two to four week window. There's a very specific window. You got to get it done in. I'll tell people this too. Open enrollment, if you don't work in HR or haven't seen like that, that side of it at any point, open enrollment starts months before you actually need to go into the system and start electing things. We're trying to figure out what that pricing is going to look like. We're looking at all the different contracts that go into that. We're looking at building out the communications, if there's anything that needs to be updated so everybody can see what those changes are, what those enhancements are. And then it's like, all right, cool. Now we started blasting your inbox with, hey, this is starting on this date, this date, especially if it's not a passive enrollment where like, if you're not changing anything, you don't have to go into the system versus the active one where it's like, hey, I need everybody to get in here and get this done by this date or- Or they won't be insured. You're just not going to have insurance. <laughs> yeah. Actually, let's talk about that one because that's. I think this is the kind of thing that just sort of happens. <laughs> and you don't realize how much work goes into it. So we just went through this process at Teal and Lara wears many hats and she ran it, but she was sort of like half her week for like four weeks was taken up on all the pricing. They all went up 10%, right? So now that's a business decision. Now, do we pass some of that along to the employee base? Do we just pick it up as a company? And now like our overhead went up, bam, 10%. And, you know, there's like the practical, it's like, well, hey, everyone splits in the pain. It's like, that's not true. The employee base doesn't want the company in their pocket. It's like, hey, sorry. It's like, no. No. But like, yeah, talk us through, I don't know, yeah, I'm sure you've done open enrollments, but like, yeah, give us a kind of nitty gritty version of what that process is like. Oh, uh, <laughs> you are, man, that's loaded. So <laughs> I won't try and break it down by company size and things like that. I think the larger you get, there's usually a team kind of dedicated to that, or at least a group within a team that's dedicated to that. At a smaller company, you more often than not might be flying solo, taking that project on because it's something that absolutely has to get done, right? Once you figure out when you want to do your open enrollment and if you want to keep it the same time of year every year, however that works for your org, I've started like four or five months in advance, just to make sure that if we need to come up off of a particular program or provider we're using or whatever, we have time to scope someone out. And ideally, I got this from a VP at one of my old spots. He's like, you know, you're always be recruiting, always be sourcing, always have like that. Mm -hmm. We got to do the same thing just for the thing that we're using to make sure we can take care of y'all. We're talking to our network throughout the year being like, hey, what y'all use? What's the price in? How big is the companies and things like that? Those conversations start, let's say your open enrollment is in like August. That conversation started for me in February. And we're looking at all those things, the numbers, the process, the systems, any kind of changes that might take place, not just in communicating with the providers, but like everything internally as well. Because if you're just over a particular headcount or whatever, there's still that threshold you got to maintain as well. So we're thinking about all the other aspects of it internally, aside from the finances that go into that. The first couple years, I'll say like 2020 into like 2020, I'll say halfway through 2022 as a broad spectrum, a lot of providers didn't go up on a lot of their pricing. 
And then the ones that did, they're making up for whatever they consider a loss from the year and a half, two years prior when we were all stuck in the house. And everyone's trying to help each other out from every aspect, most importantly, financially. Now we pick the thing, we've decided on a program. If it's something different than we've used before, that's a huge change for everybody else. Because once they they make their elections, their doctor might not take that. They might have to switch up pharmacies, how much they can or you know can or should contribute to an FSA, for example, changes a lot. And just on a federal level, that number has changed, uh, I think, at least once in the last few years. The dependent care uh, flexible spending account, that changes. Like All those little things we have to take into consideration before we make any kind of decision like that. And you know, a finance person signs off on the deal to be like, all right, cool, next step, let's work through how we're going to set up the enrollment. Is it two weeks or four weeks? And that can depend on really how big your company is, but also to make sure that happens the way it should. Is the communication right? Is the communication consistent with your employees internally? No one should be sending out open enrollment window notices like two weeks before it happens. (laughs) Maybe if you're smaller, sure. But also if you're smaller, you probably don't got enough people to, to like have something that solid in place yet. And again, it all comes back full circle, right? What are parameters we're meeting right now? Obviously, how much money can we spend all this stuff on all this stuff? How much time needs to be dedicated to it, especially if you're a one person show? And then after that, it just trickles down from there because you can't trying to solve the problem for each person is an irresponsible ask. So it's never going to be 100 percent. But the closest you can get to that as possible is what you're aiming for. You can't make everybody happy with these decisions. And that is the sucky part of being in a particular part of the business. Sometimes the answer is just no. And we don't like it any more than you like it if you're a decent human being. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But it is what it is. And I want to at least do you the justice of explaining why. And that's super important. Yeah, it's it's one of these things that happens in business, especially once you get to a certain scale that is is complex because it is a negotiation process, right? Like we're, again, we're on a co-employment, but like there may be one day where it's not worth it anymore. That's a I mean, I, I was at WeWork when we switched from JustWorks to doing it ourselves. And, you know, there's huge savings, there's huge benefit to having a co-employer up until a certain point. And there may be reasons to keep going because you just that's not where you want to spend your time. But yeah, these things, you know, then you got to go and bid it out and you got to see and there's different rates and what's it going to mean to the employee base and different by state. And even I think like the demographic of your workforce, you would change it if you sort of skew a little more senior then you might want different kinds of plans. And if you skew more junior and like all those, it's just really, really, and it's super dynamic also. Yeah, it's loaded. It's not this very simple like Venn diagram that I think a lot of people don't realize they think about it in that way. It's this really insanely chaotic spider web graph thing. (laughs) And too many of those bubbles touch this other bubbles like at the same time as well. Oh yeah, it's so complicated. So so as an insider, what's a tip we'd have for folks on the other side who could try to sort of eke out a perk here and there on the, the sort of HR benefit side? I think honestly, the more homework you can do on your own, and this isn't to like, you know, pick an insurance, you know, for yourself that's private or anything like that. This is just kind of in general. First, it's important to know who your your people team is. 
what they're responsible for. So you know who to go to for that stuff. Everyone's levels of patient is very different. And I respect that as someone who I like to think I have a gratuitous amount of patience, but everyone's fuse is a different length. So like, especially if there's an emergent scenario, one, give us a second, because more often than not, especially when you had things like uh, different like COVID acts come into place or what companies could or couldn't do for a little bit, we got that information the same time you did. <laughs> right. I was playing PlayStation and I was on my phone on Twitter and now my inbox is full of the same thing that we all just saw at the same time. I'm not answering that tonight. <laughs> the second thing is the more homework you can do on your own to understand whether it's terminology, whether it's looking into your plan, because we just set you up. It's your responsibility as the individual to know what you are spending your money on. You, everyone should at least know what they're spending their money on to the best of their ability. And they come with those nuanced questions. And there's some kind of like rules on like how much the company can actually like help you in that process, right? Like there's like, yeah. you gotta be careful. There's like arm's length stuff. So you don't wanna be responsible for giving someone bad advice. I can't tell, I do this all the time. So I can't tell you what not to do, but here's <laughs> like a very broad spectrum of what I do. And then I'm gonna let you handle your business from there. And there are some things where it's like, yo, I flat out can't help you with that for a lot of like legal reasons or whatever the case may be. Because if I tell you to put your money in the wrong spot and you do it, and then it's like, hey, Tank told me to do this. I need to go talk to him about that. That's on me now. Like I created that, I fed that, that issue for you. And there's a lot of things like that where it's like, I have to make sure that I word things a certain way while also being honest with you about how something does or doesn't work. Yeah. Things like 401k probably, right? Because HR, I think generally administers that. It's very financial. Yeah. But it's like, you can't, it's like, look, here it is. How much you put is your call. Like, we have no opinion. We don't want to be responsible for that. Yep. Yeah. It's just like that. <laughs> Anything where you might need to contribute a little bit extra out of your own paycheck, that's between, I like to say, that's between you and the Lord. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's complicated. I think you've done an awesome job shining a light on the complexities of this stuff. You've also shown how much of an expert you are in it, which is amazing. This has been great. I really appreciate it. I think we've lifted the curtain, which is really what we like to do on this show. Good, good. How can folks follow along with all the good stuff you're putting out there? And how can folks get in touch with you? Yeah. So LinkedIn, my full name is Francis Rhodes. You can search Frankie on there. Uh, Rhodes spelled like the scholar. TikTok, I'm working on getting a little bit heavier on TikTok again. I, we miss it. I'm not going to lie. On there, again, all one word uh, at HR's Agent of Chaos. And it's just me going on about perspectives and mindsets and and trying to keep everybody uh, thinking about what's what, not just what we want it to look like, but what things are right now and how you, regardless of, of your level, years of experience, position, it don't matter how you can further enhance your thinking on not just being a better employee, but being a better person overall, because your work life isn't just your work life. Like it's not as isolated as you think it's your life. It's one of many aspects. So the sharper we can be in all those areas, that's all that's going on over there. There might be a dance or two on there, but like, <laughs> you don't really rock like that. <laughs> I know we get occasional anime content, gaming content, which is welcome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. HR is complicated. And I think you do a really great job of showing the nuance and kind of both sides being an advocate for the employee, but also understanding that the company's got like shit they got to do. <laughs> got bills to pay, just like we do. <laughs> 
Uh, well, this was awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And folks, you definitely follow along. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. We are here to help job seekers. The point of this show is to give you the behind the scenes look at the hiring practices of companies and to debunk a lot of the myths and fear mongering that's out there. So if you like the show, please subscribe. Would love for you to write me on LinkedIn or comment on one of my posts if you'd like to be a guest. We're really looking for practitioners that are in the hiring role, whether it be a hiring manager or a recruiter. We wanna give people that inside view to what it looks like like to be hired and to understand the inside view of how companies operate. So please let me know. And if you're job searching, check out Teal, tealhq.com. We are here to help you land a job you love. All right, thanks. And we'll catch you on the next one.